the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Cross fans? You're watching episode 246 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today, we are going to recap all of the games, not all of the games, but almost all of the games that were played yesterday. We're going to talk about Johns Hopkins and Syracuse. We're going to talk about Princeton and Rutgers, Denver, Yale, Penn State, Cornell, uh, Tufts and Amherst had a just an absolute shootout, Richmond, Georgetown, Michigan, Harvard, uh, a bunch of others, including, you know, the, the crazy Penn Villanova game. We're going to talk about Virginia, Notre Dame beating up on, on Ohio State. We'll talk about all of them before I get into that. As always, be sure to like and subscribe. Please share the podcast with your friends. I still get messages every week saying, hey, I just found your podcast. Boom, subscribed. Uh, so how is it that people are still just finding out about this podcast after four years? Probably because I don't do any marketing for it, and I rely totally on all of you to spread the word. So that is it. You can also go to laxfactor.com, get custom quotes for your team apparel needs. We do custom jerseys, reversible shorts, all of that crap, all designed in America, pr uh, printed in America, cut and sewn in America, every garment custom cut, sewn uh, to your specs. So hit us up. You can get a quote for your team apparel. And that is it. I'm going to shut up because it's my show and I do what I want. Uh, we're going to talk about number 11, Johns Hopkins, hanging out and actually number 10, Johns Hopkins, per the proper poll, uh, playing my Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. They actually uh, retired, or not retired, but they they hoisted Mikey Powell's jersey up to the rafters uh, uh, yesterday during that game, so that was cool. So let's talk about this game, though. It was another heartbreaker at the Dome. Uh, this time, like I said, on the day we see Mike Powell's number 22 put up in the rafters next to head coach Gary Gates uniform score was tied at five apiece when Joey Spalina found Finn Thompson on the crease and Thompson stuck at BTB giving the orange a 6-5 lead with just 10 seconds left in the half Hopkins would strike back scoring the first two goals of the second half both by Russell Melendez the second coming with 11:49 left in the third quarter on a dish from Matt Collison that gave Hopkins a 7 to 6 lead. Goals were exchanged but it was Michael Leo that gave Syracuse a 9-8 lead with 11:19 left in the game on a man up goal. Finn Thompson hit Leo dodging up the left side of the crease and he buried it. Matt Collison, the Hopkins freshman midfielder, he tied things up at nine apiece with six minutes left in the contest. Syracuse would lose the ensuing faceoff, and that would result in a Ryan Evans goal with just 4.55 left to play. I closed my eyes after that, but saw later that Patrick Deans scored a dagger, scored the dagger, giving Hopkins the huge road win. Now, I will say, Syracuse did a slightly better job at the faceoff dot in this game. Uh, Richie, uh, uh, Johnny Ricusa, he, he's lost the Richie USA moniker, but Johnny Ricusa, he uh, won four of nine. And then Jack Fine came in finally in relief and got some real real, you know, uh, uh, real volume in terms of draws. He looked a little bit better, and he won 8 of 14. Now, that doesn't sound all that bad, as Cuse won 12 of 23, so they won more than half on the day. The issue was the timing. Fine lost uh, after after Hopkins tied things up at nines. Fine lost that very next draw, and that draw resulted in that game-winning possession for Hopkins. Now, Jacob Angelus, he was huge for Hopkins again. He put up a timely goal and then th had three helpers on the day. Russell Melendez was moved to midfield in this game. He scored three goals off just five shots. He did a good job taking advantage of shorty matchups. And actually, I think Melendez may have even played midfielder a little bit the last game. Not 100% sure. Uh, another key in this game was Hopkins taking advantage of Syracuse short sticks. 
especially late in the game. Collison and Evans, both midfielders, scored the game-tying and game-winning goals, and it was obvious that Hopkins throughout, the, especially the second half, they were trying to pick on the Syracuse Shorties a little bit. Still, even with that said, I'm not going to crap on the Syracuse Shorties. They're, it's a young group. Um, Avilas came back this week, and he actually looked pretty good at times playing, so it looks it looks like that that group, the whole defensive group, is probably going to be they're improved this year, and by, come next year, they're probably going to be a pretty solid defense, as long as we can find a keeper that could even hold a candle to Mark. Uh, Marcel, he stood on his head and made that Syracuse offense look as young as they really are. Uh, when it comes down to it, Marcel won this game for Hopkins. Hopkins held this insane Syracuse man-up crew to just two of seven on the day, a season low for the Orange. That was mostly thanks to Marcel, but also credit the Hopkins defense for not giving up the doorstep goals in those extra man sets that Syracuse has become accustomed to scoring. Syracuse, it looks like we may have lost Clary. Uh, it, he, we lost him at the beginning of the game. He went down with an injury. He didn't come back. What worried me a little bit, because right now he's our best defender, is is someone came over and hugged him on the sideline a few minutes after he was already off the field. It may have even been like five or ten minutes later. I saw like some kind of trainer come over and give him a hug. I thought that was a bad sign because you typically wouldn't go over and give someone a hug if it's just like, hey, I'm sorry, you got to sit out the rest of this Hopkins game. So my worry is that his injury may cause him to miss some time, if not potentially a lot of time. But uh, that means that right now our third defender is our top defender after he goes out. So uh, that after he went out, we gave up. Cuse gave up a few easy goals, doorstep goals to Hopkins. But they did seem to adjust and start to play better through this game until those, you know, that run we gave up at the end. Uh, so anyway, that's that's that game. There's not a whole lot more to talk about. Hopkins played really well. It went back and forth. If we look at the Hopkins scores here, and Syracuse doesn't let us sort this anymore, uh, it was Jacob Angelus, like I said, one and three. Russell Melendez had three goals. Garrett Degnan, two and zero oh on the day. The lefty sniper. Uh, and actually, the Syracuse made a good adjustment. Degnan torched Syracuse twice in the beginning of that game getting to the middle of the field and getting shots off. Syracuse's halftime adjustment stopped letting him get his hands free into the middle of the field. So some good things to see out of Syracuse. A lot of really good things to see out of Hopkins here. The big one, though, Tim Marcel. Like I said, he pretty much won the game for Hopkins. This dude had 21 saves against just nine goals against, and the shooting woes continue for Syracuse. Now, Syracuse has not been a great shooting lacrosse team for about the last decade. I've been chirping the fact that Syracuse seems to allow goalies to come into the dome more specifically than anything else, and these dudes just stand on their head. There's something about the dome and opposing teams' goalies that you, you really do seem to get the best out of them. So either the dome has some kind of magic dust that affects opposing team goalies and makes them play better, or the Syracuse shooters for years have just not been up to par. So we'll see how that goes. But either way, all good things for both teams here. Hopkins comes away, and and now they have Marcel back from injury, and he's 21 saves deep in this game. Will Mark, not bad, 12 saves off 11 goals against overall. So that, that obviously wasn't terrible either. But for Hopkins, they played good defensively. Man, Their man-down unit played really well against an, an insane Syracuse man-up unit. I think the Hopkins short-stick de uh, defensive midfield did a good job against the Syracuse midfield to the point that I think Syracuse kind of stopped eventually trying to attack them, and they actually game plan almost looked like Syracuse was trying to attack the Hopkins poles a little bit. But either way, it was a good game. Makes me sad. Syracuse drops to three and four. Hopkins is what now? Five and three, something like that. And we're going to be on to 
the next. And that game was an OT thriller. Number 14, Princeton against number seven, Rutgers. One of the best games of the weekend, I think, overall. Cross, crosstown rivals that are only separated by like 20 miles of highway between them uh, somewhere in dirty Jersey. So to get this one rolling, Alex Slusher dodged up the right from X, busted an inside roll on his defender, split the approaching double team as he dove, and buried a shot past Mullins, tying the game up at 12-all with 20 seconds left in the third quarter. Rutgers would regain the lead thanks to Brian Cameron sticking an outside bouncer dished by Shane Knobloch with 12-29 remaining in the fourth. Now it's 13-12 Rutgers. Princeton's Sam English, he was the beneficiary of Alex Slusher's he was the beneficiary of Alex Slusher's willingness to share, sticking a shot from the right wing, 13-13 once again, and that would be the score at the end of regulation, so now we have to go into overtime. In sudden death, it was Shane Knobloch trying hard to get himself free for a shot out top, and as he finally did beat his man and get his hands free, he sees Dante Coolis sneaking up that left side near GLE. He hit him. Coolis buries it off the far pipe for the win. I've become a huge fan of Dante Coolis, by the way. I kept talking about him each week as he played well, and I'd see him factor in the stat line, but I reviewed some Rutgers game tape this week during workouts. And, uh, man, the kid's for real. He's smooth. He can play inside. He can carry the ball a little bit. He can, he's a very versatile player, a great pickup for Rutgers. Three Rutgers players scored five points on the day. Coolis was 4-1, and one, Brian Cameron was 3-2, and two, and Shane Knobloch was 2-3. and three. In all, 11 Rutgers players scored at least a point. Kyle Mullen had another good day in cage, and he picks up the win. He stopped 13 shots to 13 goals against. If we rip through the box score here for Princeton, we see Coulter Maxey, 3-3 three three again. He's been playing really well for Princeton. Christian Ronda, 3-1. Vardaro, 2-1. Slusher, he's been a little bit slow to get rolling, so that crazy goal that he scored early, uh, that he scored the, the dive goal, very good sign that he's starting to get involved in dope ways, but 2-1 and one on the day. If we come down to Rutgers points, like I said, these three guys all had five. David Sprock was 1-0. Ross Scott, just a single goal. So he, you know, I think he's still Rutgers' leading scorer at this point, but it's a, a, an incredible thing for Rutgers to have all of these guys filling it up ahead of him. That is a very good sign. Cause turnovers. Bobby Russo had two cause turnovers, four GBs, and like I said, uh, Kyle Mullen played tough in cage. Princeton did play two goalkeepers in this one. They split time here, and uh, uh, Griffin Rackauer did not have a great day. Coming in to spell him at the half, Michael Gianforcaro, something like that. Ten saves, five goals against, so he actually played much tougher for Princeton down the stretch. But it was a hell of a game, and Rutgers picks up the win, and now they have bragging rights, and now the Big Ten is definitely greater than the Ivy. Big Ten's own in the Ivy League. No one owns, owns the Ivy League more than Princeton, or more than Penn State, let's be sure. But, you know, Rutgers, good job here against Princeton. Next game that I want to talk about is not this one. It is actually this one. I want to talk about Denver and Yale. What was a two-goal game at the halfway point turned into a 10-5 lead by the end of the third quarter. Denver was able to get back to within two goals before the game's end, but it was too little, too late at that point. Matt Brandau paced Yale with three goals and two helpers off seven shots. The senior was uh, he, he's kind of quietly piled on the points so far. A lot of the, the sophomores for Yale are getting a lot of attention here, but Brandau is that senior leader, the Tewartan candidate, my favorite to win the Tewartan preseason because I think he's going to continue to pile points on here. But um, 
So far over Yale's first four games, he's got 12 goals, 11 helpers with a 37.5 shooting percentage. Penn State held Brandau to just one goal and two helpers in their win over the Bulldogs, but he put up seven points in their win over Villanova, eight points in their win over UMass, five points in the win yesterday over Denver. So he's having a great season. Denver was able to keep Leo Johnson and Chris Lyons quiet. Johnson had just an assist and Lyons had no points. Fellow sophomores Brad Sharp, he had three goals. Max uh, Krevsky, two goals and an assist. They came to play and uh, they made up for their classmates' quiet days on attack. Alex Stathakis, once again, or um, Stathakis, I, I, I've always said Stathakis for years, but I hear everybody else pretty much uh, say uh, Stathakis. I don't know who's right. He uh, he helped Denver keep pace in this game. He wins 15 to 22 draws. He did have three turnovers, so that kind of neutralizes some of those wins overall. But another good outing for Stathakis, and that's he's going to be key for Denver. Denver, I don't think overall is good enough to pull these games out, but the fact they're even in these games uh, with a chance to win them come come the end of the game, it's a it's credit to Stathakis, I think, overall. Uh, Jared Paquette, very good in cage for Yale. He stops 13 shots versus nine goals against. It's a theme we're going to see here today. Goalies played out of their minds this weekend. Denver was very sloppy with the ball in the first half of this game, despite only being down by two goals at halftime. They managed to clean things up in the second half, only giving the ball up three times in that third quarter, but that also happened to be the quarter uh, the quarter that Paquette heated up and then uh, so Denver gets their offensive act together but the other team's goalie is up to the task and quiets them a little bit that shut down any hopes Denver had of getting back in this game in any meaningful sort of way had to look over here to make sure I was recording uh, Paquette had nine saves in the second half and looked strong in all of three uh, three of Yale's wins his only down game was that loss to Penn State the Ivy League killers where he was 48% between the pipes but so far Paquette is putting together a really nice season let's get into the stats for Denver Stephen Avery three and one Michael Lampert two and oh JJ Silstrop two and oh Richie Connell I think is the x-factor if this kid could get into the area of three or four points a game if that was even in the cards for Denver I think Denver would be a little bit better offensively Connell was a very good player when he was playing for uh, what was it Richmond before he transferred to um Denver, and I had high hopes for him coming into Denver and being one of their top guys, and that hasn't panned out yet. Like I said, Matt Brandau, three and two. Brad Sharp, you saw these guys. Uh, Johnny Keeb, one and one. Leo Johnson, quiet with that assist. So it was pretty quiet for the usual suspects for Yale. But your goalie has a good game, and that's really, in the end, all that matters. But Yale, they pick up this win despite losing the bulk of the faceoffs. As we said, uh, their goalkeeper didn't go crazy, just had a solid game. So credit to Yale's offense, credit to Yale's defense for getting stops when they need to. Did we have anybody that had a bunch of turnovers? Nope. Pretty quiet on that Western front. But anyway, very good game. Yale picks up the win. Denver, not so much. Next game we are going to talk about here, once again, not that one. For some reason, that Georgetown game, it really wants to be higher up in this list here, but we don't have highlights to uh, roll for that one because it's on that Flow Live TV, and I don't trust that they won't copyright strike me uh, because they seem to be a-holes, so I'm not touching that game with highlights, so they're going to get bumped. Georgetown, no matter what you do, because of who you chose for your TV contract, you are always going to get bumped down the list here if I can't roll highlights at the beginning. Penn State. And Cornell, number eight, Penn State, number three, Penn uh, Cornell. Penn State took a 4-1 lead thanks to Jake Morin, assisted by TJ Malone, a simple feed to the crease that Morin caught, turned around, and he buried it. Cornell would go on a three-goal run capped by an unassisted C.J. Kirst goal with 8.46 left to play in the second quarter. Great effort from Kirst. It starts with him having to first fight to get open for the ball, 
Ohio State obviously trying to limit his touches, and he had a shorty on him, so that shorty didn't want to get exposed. Uh, once he got it, he dodges him down that right side of the field, hits the brakes, turned around and ripped one past uh, Jack Frasian. Uh, that knotted things up at fours. It was the Nittany Lions' turn to go on a run. Luke Mercer, he makes it 5-4. TJ Malone from Kevin Winkoff, that made it 6-4, and Chris Jordan scored with 4-18, left in the third quarter, giving Penn State a 7-4 lead. Cornell would get back to within a goal late in the third, but Penn State outscored the Big Red uh, three to zip over the fourth quarter and rolled to the win. Now we can officially call Penn State the Ivy Killers. They hold wins over number 11, Yale, number 15, Penn, and now number three, Cornell. Now an important thing to point out, though, for Penn State is every team, every one of those teams were in the top 10 at the time that Penn State beat them. I believe that's true, uh, and I kind of tried to line it up with the inside lacrosse poll, and it does seem to be the case. And... um yeah, so both, uh, what was it, Penn and Yale were in the top 10 at the time that Penn dropped them. Uh, the goalies on both sides played huge. Uh, Frasian for Penn State stopped 16 shots and only gave up six goals. And credit to that Penn State defense. Uh, I'll talk about it here in a sec, actually. Uh, Chase Erland, though, he he hasn't he's not the kind of guy typically to stand on his head and give you 20-plus saves, but he did yesterday. 21 saves against just 10 goals against. So credit him with making sure that Cornell didn't get their dicks kicked in by Penn State at home. Nonetheless, here, I mean, Erlen's the only reason this score wasn't 17 to six or maybe even worse. Cornell has averaged 14 plus goals per game coming into this weekend. So credit the Nittany Lions defense for uh, limiting Cornell to just 40 shots overall with only 22 of them being on cage. Penn State had nine players put up at least one point. Jack Trainer he puts up two goals with two helpers. His brother Matt netted a hat trick. Kevin Winkoff, the Binghamton University transfer, he had three assists and now has 13 points over his last four games. So that was a sneaky good pickup for Penn State in the portal. Penn State's looking really good offensively at the moment, which is it's that's the easy thing to notice that they're putting up points, they're sharing the ball, they're getting big games from a number of different guys depending on the weekend. Last weekend it was Winkoff. I think he what, had five goals and maybe a helper or something like that. That wasn't even last week. I think that was the weekday game. So they're getting a lot of guys involved, and they're seeing a lot of depth in their scoring game in and game out. Uh, game in and game out. But they're really starting to gel defensively, giving up fewer and fewer goals as the season has wore on. They have gave up 14 goals in their only loss of the season to Villanova. Since then, they haven't given up more than 12 goals, and over their last two games, they held Penn to just nine goals, and now Cornell with a very formidable offense to just six goals, which is, what, eight goals under their season average? Even better, they're now 5-1, and one and winners of their last four games since losing to Villanova, with three of those four teams being ranked in the top ten at the time that PSU took them down. I think for me, I'm going to have to do my poll later today. I think I just about bump Cornell down to you know just about maybe number seven, six, seven, eight, somewhere like that. And I think I had Penn State on my poll at maybe number eight, and I think I bumped them up to like three or four at this point. Penn State right now, look, you know, they're playing they're playing well in all facets of play. Uh, even at the faceoff dot, I don't think they've been terrible. Ten to twenty, they split it in here. But as we look at uh, what uh, Frasian's doing, uh, and I once again. Sorry, someone can I, – I, you people in the comments that tell me how to pronounce uh, – like uh, Declan McDermott is what I was calling that guy. And I said to my wife, someone corrected me in the comments and told me it's not Declan, it's Declan. And I told her, I was like – and she thought I was an idiot for calling him Declan because apparently she knew that that was pronounced Declan. And I'm like, man, I've never heard that fucking name before. So why are, why are you chirping me? My wife, you're supposed to support me. But yes, 
Somebody pointed that out in the comments in a very kind way, and that absolutely makes me want to pronounce things uh, correctly. So any of you Penn State fans that are watching this, tell me how to pronounce his name right because I do try to listen to the commentators of these games, but they I've heard it multiple ways because even they don't fully know how to pronounce it. So if you're nice about it and you tell me how to pronounce it properly in the comments or hit me up on social media, I will obey if I can remember. Uh, if you're an asshole about it, I'm going to purposely keep butchering it over and over and over again. But he's been a, a big key for Penn State here this year. But overall, right now, they're clicking across all aspects of lacrosse. They're playing well across the board. Oh, wait, hold on. We didn't get into the scoring and all that crap. I would like to go through and see what happened here. Uh, like I said, the trainers here, they put up four and three. Kevin Winkoff, BU, he's been good. But then you look down the depth here. I mean, TJ Malone, that's a big name here, one and one. Jake Morin's been playing lacrosse since he was two, one and one. Uh, so, I mean, they, they have some big guys even just putting up a couple of points. What's important is they're playing good team ball. Matt Costin is a guy I like here for Penn State as well, for Cornell kept cursed quiet. He gets 13 shots off on the day, only put five of them on cage. So credit Penn State's defense with pestering him, making his life difficult all day. And, you know, Frost edits, credit to you for being right and for me being wrong on Penn State. Just about every freaking game. I, I got to stop picking against Penn State because every time I do, you're like, hey, uh, 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 I think you're going to be wrong on that one. And uh, you've been right. So I will stop counting Penn State out. But the problem is, the second that I start picking Penn State, that's when they're going to start losing because I'm a shithead and I suck at making predictions overall. Good game overall, though. All right, once again, not... Okay, we're going to talk about this one next. And uh, uh, forgive me, too, because I, I usually write up more games for this, but I thought I had the uh, norovirus last week. My son ended up coming down with it two days ago, two days ago. And, uh, this morning, I think I'm finally actually really getting it this time. I had myself, uh, you know, some problems just before we had, I recorded this episode and I was wondering if I was even going to be able to finish it. Uh, so far so good here, but this is where I'm going to start getting into the weeds where I haven't fully written up these games, but I did watch a couple of them. So Villanova Penn, hell of a game overall here. You can see Villanova jumps out to a 5-2 lead here. Luke Raymond from Austin Frazier. That's, uh, you know, approaching the end of the second quarter. Penn was able to make it 5-3 uh, just before the end of the half. Or not just before, but four minutes before the end of the half. Villanova, they come out, score the first goal of the second quarter, or the second half, go up 6-3. Penn then goes on a run. Penn goes on a five-goal run capped by an unassisted Sam Handley goal with 10-28 left in the fourth quarter. That gave Penn an 8-6 to lead, and then Villanova needed to rattle off three straight goals to pull this one out. They end up getting a, Pat uh, a Patrick Daly goal with 5-38 left. That gets them back within a goal or within one. Matt Campbell scored a man-up goal. That gets them back within that, – that ties it up. And then it is uh, Matt Licata with 28 seconds left in the game. He scores to take home the 9-8 victory for Villanova. If we dive into the weeds and we look at the scores overall, we see Matt Campbell. He's 2-1. Austin Frazier, 1-1. Patrick Daly, 1-1. Luke Raymond, 1-1. Once again, depth in scoring across the board uh, for Penn. Sam Hanley, two and two, off two shots at least. So they did a good job limiting Sam Hanley's attempts, and Sam, Sam Hanley did a good job in this game of not, you know, Sam Hanley tends to be a volume guy, 
tends to take a lot of chances. And when he's not shooting well and he's still taking those chances, that has hurt Penn in the past. Didn't do that in this game. Just wasn't able to do enough. That Villanova defense played well and uh, bottled him up effectively. And then as we come down here, we see Will Vuitton, the uh, Villanova goalkeeper, 11 saves against eight goals against Emmett Carroll. The, once again, we like I said, told you we, we were seeing, and it's not just this week, it's been a lot. We're seeing goalies stand on their head and stop their teams from getting absolutely ass-whooped. Penn would have gotten ass-whooped in this one if it wasn't for Emmett Carroll. 21 saves against just nine goals against, but in the end, Vitan didn't have to do as much and did just enough to help Villanova win this one here. Let's see what we did on defense. No defenders had a crazy, eh, eh Villanova. Reed Cow. Uh, Reed Colwell, he goes for three cause turnovers and four GBs, so that's not bad. And then Trip Robinson, three cause turnovers with a GB. So good effort out of those two guys as well. We are going to move on from this one now. Still not going to talk about the Georgetown Richmond game here. I want to talk a little bit about Tufts and Amherst. Now, Tufts and Amherst, I, once again, I was hoping to have highlights for this one, but this one's behind a $10 paywall, so I wasn't going to, I didn't watch it live. I may have bought it if I could have watched this game live, but I was watching other stuff. Uh, Tufts and Amherst, they didn't spend a whole lot of time at all, as you can see by the score, playing defense. They had 44 goals that were scored on the day, assuming I did that math correctly. Amherst held a 20 to 19 lead over Tufts after. I'm going to try this. You guys can laugh at me. I'm going to try to pronounce this guy's name. I, I apologize to his mother and his family if I butcher it, but it's Tanir Krumenacher, Krumenacher, something like that. Tanir Krumenacher. That's a rough one to spell uh, to pronounce. He scored on a feed from Jake Bennett. Tufts would then go on to score the game's next four goals, 11, eventually taking a 23-20 to 20 lead off of a George, another weird-ass name I'm going to try, Panagopoulos. I think I got that one right. He, that was assisted by Jack Boyden. Jack Boyden paced all scores. He had four goals and nine freaking assists in this one. That's not a bad outing at all. Now, despite this insane score, both goalies actually played well. Tufts Connor Garzone, he picked up the win, making 20 saves against 21 goals against just about 50%. And Amherst's Mitch Litkins, he comes up a few saves short, a few saves short, but still managed to stop 18 shots against 23 goals against. Garzone, he wins the goalie battle. Tufts ends up winning this game by two. Crazy. It's also a brutal game to be a faceoff guy in uh, just because the amount of times you got to go down there and get down on your just about your hands and knees. Tufts won that battle uh, thanks to Mason Cohn. He was 15 of 23, and Victor Salcedo was 12 of 22. They combined to win 27 of the 45 draws on the day, so that's not too bad. Interesting stat line in a game like this. There were 16 penalties in the game. Tufts was two of six with their extra man unit, but Amherst had 10 extra man opportunities capitalized on six of them. So that helped them stay a little bit closer in this game overall. So not a bad game. If we come down and we look at the stats, though, real quick. Yeah, you see Boyden, monster game. Michael Ayers had four goals. Uh, nobody had a buttload of turnovers or anything like that. And then we see Bob Gross. He chipped in for Amherst. He goes three and four. Bayard, DeMalley, six and one. What's with these dudes' names? D3, man, you guys got some funky names. It's almost like the D1 coaches and SIDs are like, yo, we think you're a really good player, but we can't pronounce your fucking name, so you're going to have to go play D3 ball because uh, we can't have that working into these media days and having people get butchered, get their names butchered. Uh, that was stupid. That wasn't even funny. I don't know why I said that. All right. Finally, well, you know what? Nope. Boom. Notre Dame. Ohio State. This is the next one we're going to talk about. I'm not going to go deep into this one. Key thing here, 
Notre Dame's offense is dirty. Their defense is excellent as well, as you can see. They, they hold Ohio State to what? Just three freaking goals on the day. Overall, Ohio State, I mean, they're a very good lacrosse team. They've scored 15. They've scored 19. They did have a low-scoring game against Carolina, but pulled it out and won. They did get beat up pretty bad by Virginia, 17-6. to That's kind of similar to this one. But, you know, only scoring three goals is a whole different ball game here. Cornell lost, but they put some points up. So, I mean, 16-3 to here. That's brutal for Ohio State's offense. Very good sign for the defense of Notre Dame, though. Chris Cavanaugh, 3-2. and Eric Dobson, 4-1. and Hasn't shot the ball great overall this season. Dobson hasn't. Big midfielder. Reminds me of Sergio Perkovic and the other big midfielders of that, that, that ilk that, that Notre Dame has had. And uh, yeah, he's 13-3 and three on the season. Eh, his shooting percent- percentage is 34. It was this Maryland game that I was watching where he definitely had a rough outing. But yeah, screw that. He's played tough in all of their games. So I'm not going to trip Dobson's shooting. But he had a very good day. Four goals, one helper. Pat Cavanaugh, two and two. Quinn McCann, one and two. Gr- Quinn McCann is, is, is an excellent story here. I believe McCann at some point even got time at attack. For Notre Dame, but now he's kind of playing a two two way midi role, getting a little bit of time on defense, getting time on offense, mixing it up. So hell of a job by Quinn McCann, because uh, uh, Tevlin does the same thing for Notre Dame. So Notre Dame right now has two midfielders that get time both on offense and defense, and Tevlin's freaking picking up a, a, a long pole even in playing on the the man down unit. So and then very key thing here. They completely kept Jack Myers off the scoreboard. He gets a big, fat fucking zero, scored nothing. He had, As my daughter, I always say this, my daughter would say when she was a kid, he had none points here. She'd be like, well, so I don't get none, none treats today? You know, so Myers, he gets freaking nothing. Liam Entman in cage overall, 13 saves against just those three goals against us. That's just absolutely crazy. Skylar Wallen didn't have a bad game, 14 saves against those 16 goals against, and Notre Dame just absolutely shelled them overall. Uh, We're going to do that. Inside lacrosse, fix that. That is fucking annoying, having those pop-ups come up when you're just trying to click a link. I am cool with the pop-up coming up, but I like to hit the control key and open a link in a separate tab, and when that pop-up comes up, that doesn't work. Face-off dot. Notre Dame did a very good job. Will Lynch, 11 of 18 on the day. Hagstrom comes in and spells him a little bit. He goes 2 of 4. So Will Lynch handled his business at the face-off dot. Notre Dame picks up a big win. I think uh, we got Virginia in two weeks here, not this coming up weekend, the weekend after. So hopefully... They're both still one and two and undefeated at that time. Uh, Next game we're going to talk about, whoop, see what I did there? Uh, We're going to talk about Virginia and Towson. Somebody had told me that I pronounced Towson wrong because I do think I call it Towson, and I believe I've been chirped for that many moons ago when I first got into this. I believe the proper pronunciation is Towson with a soft S, not that hard Z-sounding S. But uh, they actually kept things interesting overall. I was surprised that, you know, 1-4 and four, Towson comes in and played tough against Virginia early. It was a close game at halftime. Virginia does eventually roll. We see the coming out party here. People have been chirping Connor Schellenberger for his production. I've kind of been saying in the games that he hasn't played great or hasn't put up a bunch of points, none of them were games that re- really required that he put up those points, but it was uh, implied that he was told he needed to be a little bit more of an offensive presence, and he did so in this game. He ends up with, you know, not a bad season so far. I mean, 35 points in six games, 38% uh, percent shooting percentage. I mean, he's he's playing fine, but four goals, 
Six helpers in this one for 10 points and 36% uh, shooting. Not bad. Xander Dixon had a monster day, 4-2. and two. McConvey had a big day. The Vermont transfer, 3-2. and two. At some point, do I stop saying where these dudes transferred from because now he's just playing for Virginia? Connor, 2-2. Two and two. Garno, 2-0. and oh. They get scoring all the way through. But, hey, credit the Towson guys here. Mikey Weissar, Weiser. I think that's how you pronounce that. Three and one. Nick DeMeo. We got DeMeo scoring points all over the place. He's four and zero, oh, so not a terrible outing overall for Towson. Um, Matthew Nunes, nine saves, twelve goals against. He's been a little bit streaky here. Virginia's going to need him to play a little bit better down the stretch. They're going to want him to be hanging somewhere in the area of fifty percent. And thus far this season, we see. You know, 54% in that game against Michigan, below 50% against Harvard. He gets back above 50% in those two big wins over Ohio State and Richmond. Last two games against Hopkins and Towson, not very good. They're still winning games, but once they get in, you know, against Notre Dame, 41% isn't going to hang. He's going to need to put up 15 to 18 saves uh, against Notre Dame to make sure that they can keep pace. I think that's going to be a, a knockout, drag them out, just killer of a game, uh, Virginia against Notre Dame. When does that actually happen? Let us take a look. UVA's got Maryland next and then Notre Dame after that. So interesting crap. Interesting crap indeed. Next game I'm going to talk about is Michigan versus Harvard. And let's see here. I did write this one up. All right, Harvard. They jump out to a 9-3 lead after Miles Bach has scored an unassisted goal with 7-18 left in the second quarter. Now at this point... Looks like Harvard's going to roll Michigan after scoring seven straight goals, but not so. Michigan would answer with a six-goal run capped by a lucky goal scored as time expired. Shane Carr made a save with about 15 seconds left on the clock. Michigan pushed the ball in transition. Cohen took a shot with two seconds left that deflected off a Harvard defender's stick and then into the net as time expired. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. Harvard came out and scored the first goal of the second half. That gave them a 10-9 lead. But Michigan rolled from there, scoring 10 of the game's next 13 goals en route to that 19-13 win. Shane Carr had a huge game for the Wolverines. He stopped 17 shots while giving up fewer than that, just 13 goals against. Harvard goaltender Christian Bernard wasn't so lucky. He got absolutely shelled by this Michigan offense over the course of the second half. Michigan got huge days out of Michael Bohm, 5-4. Ryan Cohen, 4-3. Zawada was quiet, two goals and a dish. But he's lucky he's got great friends like Bohm and Cohen to help him out. Also credit the duo of Nick Rowlett. He was 13 of 18 at the dot. And Justin Whitefeld, 11 of 17, as they beat Harvard up at the faceoff X, winning a combined 24 of 35 on the day. Question, what's the consensus now? It's no longer an X at the faceoff. It's now just a little a stupid little dot. What are people call? I heard a couple of the games yesterday, they're still calling it the X. Some are calling it the dot. I've transitioned into calling it the dot to differentiate from when I talk about guys playing at X. So let me know what you think. Am I a moron or am I not? Am I smart or am I dumb? I want to just come down here. You look at Carr's day. Very good day out of Shane Carr. And then if we look at the Harvard scorers, Sam King, quiet. You know, the, the um, Michigan defense did a good job of bottling King up because this kid's filthy. He's 2-2 two and two on the day. And as we come up here and we look at Michigan, you see, you know, just big days out of these two guys. Isaac Aaron, uh, Aronson, we should give him credit. Three goals on the day. Peter Thompson, two. Any defenders do anything big? Nope. And that is all we're going to do with that one. See what I keep doing here? Next game I want to talk about is Brown and Carolina. 
And uh, yeah, not a whole lot to write home about on this one. Uh, Brown, as we know, they had, uh, what was it, seven seniors that were suspended for multiple games for a fucking noise complaint. So the Ivy League just proves that guys probably shouldn't go to Ivies and play because your league doesn't give a shit about you. As players, the nerds that run the institutions, almost it's almost like they don't like you athletes and they want to make you pay for being cool and uh, not complete nerds alone. They want you to be nerds first and they don't even want you to be cool. But, you know, so it's almost like the Ivy likes to punish the players that go there. It's like there's resentment towards the, and, and I mean, it might be fair because the Ivy League is probably one of the, you know, one of those schools in terms of big schools that they don't rely on the sports probably for very much revenue at all. They have it all have crazy endowments, all, all sorts of crazy research grants and shit like that. So maybe, maybe they really do kind of uh, have some sort of animosity towards the athletes or whatnot. Now I'm just talking stupid here, but North Carolina, good for them. They kicked the absolute shit out of Brown. Brown looked terrible on the day, but you're going to have that happen when you're missing seven of your seniors overall. 10 to 2 at the half, and then they outscored them 9 to 4 over the course of the second half here. Let's see who put up big numbers in this one. Nobody put up big numbers for Brown. That's for damn sure. Lance Tillman, three. Yes, very good scoring depth here out of out of Carolina in this one. Tillman, three and two. McGovern, two and two. Goldsmith, two and two. James Matan, three and oh. Uh Terror. Uh, wow, even Terror is uh uh What's his name? Andrew Terror, the faceoff guy. Even he's getting involved. He has three goals on the day, and he was 13 of 22 at the faceoff dot. That is a hell of a game for him. How'd Krieg do in cage? Nine saves, six goals against. Not bad for Krieg. Uh, the people's goalie, uh, Connor Thrall, 13 saves, 18 goals against. Rough day for him, but, I mean, he's missing. Usually, seniors tend to be heavy on the defensive side. You know, offense can, you know, run with sophomores, juniors, freshmen even. You don't see as much of that on the defensive side of the ball. If you see a freshman or a sophomore starting on the defensive side of the ball at any of those positions, that means that dude's pretty pretty damn good. So that obviously hurt Brown's defense a little bit. But, yep, they beat the crap out of him here. Another game that we're going to talk about before that one, Maryland and Albany. Albany gave Maryland a little bit of trouble early. Score was 7-5 to five at halftime. And when I had first turned the game on, I think I was hanging out right about here, 6-4 to four, when I first turned it on. I saw Maryland score that uh, this goal here. And I think at this point, I turned it off, moved on to other games. And then I saw slowly but surely, Maryland kind of started pouring it on and pulled away enough to, to make this look good for them. Uh, yeah, Braden Erksa. Four goals. I saw a couple of his goals watching the highlights of this one. Uh, Jack Chorus, 3-1. and one. Daniel Maltz, 4-0. and oh. So Maryland getting scorers from unexpected places at times. Albany, not great here. Jack Pucci, he's 3-0 and oh on the day. Uh, ja, what do we do? Rupel and Cage, 12 saves, 9 goals against. I think Rupel may have struggled a little bit early and pulled it together later in this game. But Maryland ends up handling their business, and they beat Albany. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. All right. Uh, I don't know why this has become a game, but it's just become funny to me now. Drexel beats St. Joseph's. I th I had, once again, I keep getting my, my parlay bets just blown up by weird and unexpected results. This, I didn't actually have any money on it, but I absolutely would have taken St. Joseph's in this game if I had picked it. If I had bet on it, I would have bet in favor of St. Joseph's, unless I was playing a spread, which I, I try not to do, but I've been dabbling more lately. But what we see here is we see Drexel kind of controlled the game through most of it as we ripped through the box score. Yes, St. Joseph's kept trying to battle back and they would get back to within two. Drexel would answer, back to within two. Drexel would answer, Drexel would answer, you know. So it ended up being a two-goal game, but Drexel really had pretty solid control 
with about you know just under six minutes left in this one overall. So hell of a job by Drexel. Uh, Drexel, despite the fact they have that dope logo, some of the worst gear in all of college lacrosse. I've noticed this last year. Everything's just white. It's almost like they're trying to say – when I coached at Broom, I would order stock helmets and I would order stock gloves because we had no budget – and I mean, a stock helmet and stock gloves were a hell of a lot cheaper. It's almost as if Drexel's like, man, we can't spend any money on our gear because we got to take care of our, our travel expenses or whatever it might be. But man, Drexel, do better because you have that crazy logo. You have a really good color scheme. It looks nice. And you're sitting here just rolling out in like all washed out white shit. Nope, that's not going to fly, man. Let's see who did all the damage for Drexel. Jack Mulcahy, 5-1. Sean Donnelly, 3-2. Not a bad day out of those guys. And in cage here, uh, Ross Blumenthal, he wins the goalie battle. Drexel wins the game. And now we will talk about the Richmond and the Georgetown game. Richmond held a three-goal lead at the half. They take an 8-4 lead after Dalton Young scored just 43 seconds into the third quarter. That put the Spiders up 8-4. But Georgetown being the injured dog that they are and sitting at 1-3, they found some fight. They mounted a comeback. Hoyas go on a three-goal run over a minute and 20-second span. They get back to within 8-7. After Richmond scored again, getting back to a two-goal lead, Georgetown scored four of the game's next five goals to flip the script. They take an 11-10 lead a minute and four seconds into that fourth quarter. The teams would then each finish the game with two goal runs. Richmond was up first. Joe Sheridan scored back-to-back goals, then scored uh, the, the second one coming at the 10-05 mark in the fourth. That gave the Spiders a 12-11 lead. Nicky Solomon decided what was good for Sheridan was also good for him. He scored back back-to-back goals this time for Georgetown, uh, including the eventual game winner with 535 left in the game, and the Hoyas were able to hold on for the win. Now, the Hoyas may have won the game, but they're still shooting the ball like total shit. Dordovic scored four goals in the day, but he took 17 shots. The Hoyas only scored 13 goals off 47 shots. And the sad part, that isn't even a terrible shooting day for them, as the bulk of the G-Town point-getters, they're all shooting below 30 second, uh, 30% in general. So this was kind of an average shooting day for them. The worst defenders thus far being uh, are Dordovic and Bundy Jr., considering they're taking the bulk of the shots in terms of just not beating goalies enough, not hitting the cage enough. But alas, shooters keep shooting. Georgetown managed to find a way to get enough stops on defense to give the offense enough possessions to eke out that win. Credit Wallace Helpert for having a great game for the Hoyas on the defensive side of the field with four cost turnovers and four GBs. And the reality of this game, Georgetown didn't shoot the ball well. James Riley got smoked at the faceoff dot, and goaltender Michael Scarfenberger played terrible, making just five saves against 12 goals against. That is the definition of an ugly win, but even ugly wins still count as W. so good job by Georgetown in that one. And uh, that's it. I can tell right now as I'm ripping through this, I'm starting to get the sweats. My stomach feels like crap. I believe that there might be a puke. In my near future, but what I do as the hardest man in lacrosse podcasting is I, I show up, I do the show, I might shit my pants at some point before this is done being cut up and, and, and uploaded and everything like that, but I showed up today despite the fact I feel like dog shit. I got this show out, so I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to cut my losses before I do have the poo-poo juices uh, live on a podcast for everybody to see, so come back on Wednesday. We'll do the preview show. No games today, so hopefully this show, enjoy, uh, you, all, you all enjoy this show. We'll call it the, uh, the, the uh, norovirus show of 2023. 
And uh, yeah, come back Wednesday. We'll do the preview show uh, for the upcoming week. I didn't talk about the Duke game, I know, and I meant to. But like I said, I'm running, I'm running against the clock here before my whole day is ruined. Uh, and I'm probably just laying in bed crying. So I, I'll talk about more crap here and I'll make sure I do better Wednesday, assuming I'm not still in bed. But thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe, share the show with your friends. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch all our shows there. You can get uh, quotes for your custom team gear, and you can buy regular swag. Lax Factor podcast t-shirts are just regular, you know, dope t-shirts like our Garden Gnomes t-shirt here. That's actually a club team I played on back in the day when I was a younger man, and we, I just decided to do a t-shirt uh, commemorating that dopeness. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Hoost is out. And I'm going to go to the bathroom now. The Lax Factor Podcast.